Uh, so we're in Mark, okay? And, and we're not looking at Mark like verse by verse. We're not taking it from the beginning of chapter 1 and going through the end of chapter 16. We're looking at Mark through the lens of these five themes or these five threads that go through the gospel of Mark and really point us to the heart of what Mark is doing. Mark is a gospel about discipleship. Now, there's lots of cool things about Mark. I love Mark. One of the reasons I love Mark so much is that it's the earliest of the four gospels, okay? This is the first one that was written somewhere in the mid to late 60s AD. And so I find that very interesting. This is the first written account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I love that. One of the other things about Mark that's super cool is that the ending of Mark is so abrupt and so messy and so open-ended that a couple of hundred years after it was written, the church got together and decided, we got to clean this up. And so they added 12 verses to the end of the Gospel of Mark just to kind of clean it up a little bit. I find that utterly fascinating. And we'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. The other thing about Mark, and we talked about this last week, is all the action in Mark. There's not a lot of buildup in Mark. There's just a lot of boom, a lot of action. Immediately Jesus went here and he did this. Immediately then Jesus goes there and he does that. There's a whole lot of stories, a whole lot of scenes, and they just go boom, 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 one right after the other. But the thing that ties all the stories together are these discipleship themes. And we're going to look at one this morning and we're going to connect some dots in the Bible this morning that that have been over the years so comforting to me personally. And I am so excited to share this with you and to show this to you. And my prayer all week and my prayer right now is that what we look at together and what we notice will increase your understanding of what God is doing in you and through you in Jesus Christ. But I hope it also will help open your eyes to how this should impact the way you live. I love what we're about to do this morning, and I hope that you do too. Let, let me start here. What are you afraid of? What scares you? Turn to the person next to you right now and just tell them one thing, just one thing that you're afraid of, one thing that scares you. Right now, do it out loud. One of the things you fear may be that the preacher is going to ask you to say something to the person next to you. I know. What are you scared of? I've got a list. All right? The top 10 fears. These come out all the time. This one here, it's a couple of years old, but most of the, most of the categories all, all stay the same. Okay? Top 10 fears. This is the latest list I've got. Number 10, snakes, which I would, on my list, it's a lot higher. Okay? Number 9, a fear of heights. Number 8, mass shooting or terrorist attack. Number seven, a fear of loneliness. Number six, a fear of flying. Or more accurately, a fear of crashing, I think, is what they mean by that. Number five, fear of a financial crisis. Number four, scared of spiders or bugs. Number three, cancer. Number two, death. Number one, public speaking. Which reminds of the old Jerry Seinfeld line, right? If public speaking is the number one fear and death is the number two, that means every single time you go to a funeral, you'd much rather be the guy in the casket than the one giving the eulogy, all right? But here's the deal with Mark. Now, you can't read a single page in Mark without finding fear. Everybody's afraid in Mark. 
Every single chapter, every other story, somebody's afraid. And it's very important that we get the context here, okay? Mark was writing his gospel to Christians who were very much afraid. In the mid to late 60s AD, the Christians in the Roman Empire were being horribly persecuted. The great fire in Rome in AD 64 was blamed on the Christians. Now, when it first happened, this fire destroyed over two-thirds of the capital city of Rome. And when it first happened, everybody blamed Nero, the emperor. And when the heat got turned up on him, he decided to make Christians the national scapegoat. He blamed the Lord's church. And so everybody took it out on the Christians. The Christians were blamed for the fire, and it was bloody against the church, and it was brutal. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote about this 45 years later in the Annals of Tacitus. This is from 109 AD. Listen, this is about the fire. To scotch the rumors, Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost exquisite cruelty a class loathed for their abominations, whom the crowds styled Christians. Christus, from whom the name is derived, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. Checked for the moment, this pernicious superstition again broke out, not only in Judea, the home of the disease, but in the capital city itself. Accordingly, arrest was first made of those who confessed to being Christian. Next, on their disclosures, vast numbers were convicted, not so much on the charge of arson as for hatred of the human race. Every sort of derision was added to their deaths. They were wrapped in the skins of wild beasts and dismembered by dogs. Others were nailed to crosses. Others, when daylight failed, were set afire to serve as lamps by night. Nero had offered his gardens for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in the circus. That really happened at the time Mark was writing this gospel. Christians are being arrested in mass. Admitting to being a Christian led to your death. And so a lot of Christians were marching faithfully and nobly to their martyrdom. And other Christians were shamelessly renouncing their faith. And so there's a scorched earth invasion of Galilee. There's a bloody, violent siege of Jerusalem. And, and these Christians are suffering horribly for their faith. And Mark is writing his gospel to encourage them to stand strong. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. So I'll ask it again. What are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? today what scares you our declining churches our fading attendance numbers losing the church's tax exemptions losing the church's status in society what are we afraid of honestly are we afraid of the situations in Austin or Washington DC or Moscow are we afraid of more open hostility being showed to Christians in this country? Are we afraid of losing uh, our majority status in our own culture? Is there fear today? 
Is there any fear in here this morning? Mark uses fear. The fear that disciples of Jesus has. He uses that fear as a theme throughout his entire gospel. In chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm and then he turns to his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? Verse 41 says, They were terrified. In chapter 5, Jesus heals the demon-possessed man in the tombs. And when the pig herders and the townspeople saw the man dressed and in his right mind, verse 15 says, they were afraid. The bleeding woman at the end of chapter 5, she falls down at Jesus' feet. In verse 33, it says, trembling with fear. In chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. And the apostles, verse 50, they were terrified. Chapter 9, Jesus predicts his death, but the disciples don't understand really what he means. And verse 32 says they were afraid. Chapter 10, they're all on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Verse 32 says those who followed were afraid. Chapter 11, the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. Verse 18, for they feared him. Verse 32 says they feared the people. Chapter 12, verse 12, these same religious leaders were afraid of the crowd. Everybody's afraid in the gospel of Mark. They're scared of Jesus' power over nature. They're afraid of Jesus' power over the demons. They're, they're terrified by the persecution and the suffering and the death that Jesus is talking about. And Mark doesn't want us to miss this. In fact, this fear factor as a theme is so important to Mark, it's the very last thought. Literally, it's the very last word in the gospel of Mark. At the end of chapter 16, the young man, the angel at the empty tomb, he commands the women, you go tell his disciples and Peter. Listen to verse 8, the very last verse in the gospel of Mark. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Fear paralyzes us. Fear of death, fear of public speaking, fear of heights, fear of ridicule, fear of pain, fear of failure, fear of rejection, all of that. Fear keeps us from doing what we should do or even what we want to do. Fear keeps us from going where we want to go and where we should go. Fear freezes us. I think fear is the opposite of faith. And if it is, then we've got to deal with it. And Mark deals with it. Mark chapter 6. We're going to pretty much camp right here the rest of the time, okay? Mark chapter 6. This is at the end of the chapter. This is uh, right after the feeding of the 5,000, okay? Big miracle. They're on this really successful teaching and feeding tour right now, and they feed 5,000. The disciples have picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Verse 45, immediately, there's that word, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. 
All right, you got to see the picture, okay? The disciples are in the middle of the lake. They're right out in the deep water, which is right where Jesus sent them. This is where he told them to go. And, and Mark is very explicit here about this, right? Jesus made them. He told them to get in the boat and go out into the deep water while he goes up on the mountain to be with God and to pray to the Father. So Jesus is saying, I want you out in the deep water. I want you to, to go to the middle of the lake. I want you out of your comfort zone, and I want you in the challenge. I want you out into the elements, out into the wind and the waves and the storms and, and, and the unknown. I want you out there where you can't see the bottom and you can't see the land. I want you to go out there where it's rough and where it's scary and where all you have is faith. In the Bible, it says they're straining at the oars because the wind is against them. These guys are struggling. They are working. They are straining. They're, they're rowing as hard as they can against this wind, this wind that's keeping them from obeying God's command. They want to get to the other side, but they can't. So they're laboring and they're striving and they're straining with everything they've got against these elements that oppose them. Later on, we see that they actually landed at Genesaret, which is on the northwest side of the lake, instead of Bethsaida, which is on the northeast side of the lake. And so not only are they not getting anywhere, they're actually being blown off course. I feel that way all the time. Do you? In my intense desire to follow Jesus, in my very best efforts to obey our God, sometimes I feel like all I'm doing is beating my brains out against the wind and not getting anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? You follow me on this? Anybody else ever feel this way? Just nod. You don't have to stand up or raise your hand or anything. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I'm just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm actually getting blown off course. And I'm afraid my boat's about to get smashed, you know? And I know you feel this. There are so many things in this world, church, that oppose us. So many things that fight against us. Just the chaos of living in this godless culture where we live. In this this. This, this place where Jesus has sent us in this world of crime and cancer and violence and disease and poverty and death. We fight failure and ridicule and rejection and judgment. We're distressed by divisions in the church. We're in turmoil over circumstances with our children and our grandchildren. We're struggling with our jobs. We're, we're angry with our families and we're arguing with our friends. We're drowning in temptation and sin. We're, we're battered by dishonesty and abuse. We're being tossed around by all the selfishness and the greed and the vengeance and the hate all around us. And we're just rowing and rowing and rowing. And a lot of the time it feels like we're not making any progress. No results, just frustration and despair and fear. Here's the picture though, okay? I want you to see this. I want you to look at this. I want you to, I want you to see what Mark is doing here. Picture the disciples. They're out in the middle of the lake. 
And Jesus has gone to the mountain to talk to God. And the Bible says he's watching the disciples. Did you catch that? They're in the middle of the lake. He's up on the mountain with the Father, speaking to the Father, and he's watching them. Jesus sees them. He sees them straining at the oars, and he's praying. Jesus sees you straining at the oars. He does, and he's praying. He's watching you. You might be in the middle of the lake right now. Some of you are. You're right in the middle of it. Listen, Mark's telling you, Jesus sees you. He's watching. He sees you straining. He sees you giving it everything you've got. And he's talking to the Father about you right now. Hey, Father, check her out. Do you see your son down there? Do you see your daughter and how hard she's working? He's watching. He knows. What a beautiful, powerful, inspiring picture the Gospel of Mark gives us. I love this so much. And if fear is the opposite of faith, and I'm convinced it is, fear paralyzes us. Faith liberates us and mobilizes us. Fear sees me in the storm. Faith sees me in the Lord, right? So if fear is the opposite of faith, and again, I, I'm convinced it is, these disciples need help because they're very much afraid. And so while they strain at the oars in the middle of the lake, Jesus interrupts his prayers for them to show them who he is and what he's doing. He turns their fear into faith. And I think this is so cool. Listen to verse 48. He, Jesus, saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Okay, that's weird, right? He was about to pass by them. What does that even mean? Have you ever wondered? What does that mean? He was about to pass by them. Did Jesus not want them to see him? You know, he was just going to pass on by. You know, when our kids were little and we wound up in separate cars, Carrie Ann's driving one car with a kid or two, and I've got a car with a kid or two, we'd race home. Y'all ever do that? Keeping all the laws of the land, right? We'd race home. And then whoever got there first, we'd try to run into the house and close the garage door and act like we'd been there an hour and a half. You know, oh, where have you been? It's about time. What's good? Was that what Jesus was doing? Was he trying to beat them to Bethsaida so he would already be there when they showed up? Hey, what took y'all so long? Or did Jesus intend for them to see him? He was about to pass by them. While they're straining at the oars, did he want to be noticed? You know, and he was just going to go, hey guys, what's going on? And then just keep on walking? Is that what's happening? Or did Jesus not want them to see him? He was about to pass them by and then he got busted. Oh shoot. Oh, hey guys, I didn't mean for you to see me. What's going on with this? I think the NIV butchers this, okay? He was about to pass by them like it was some kind of an accident, okay? The Greek word here is thalo. 
Thalo means it's not he was about to. The word means he willed to. Okay? He intended to. The real translation here in our English should be this is what Jesus wanted to do. This is what the Lord planned to do. I think all the other translations get this right. Jesus intended to pass by them. Jesus meant to pass by them. But still, what does that mean? It's, it sounds weird, right? Jesus wanted to pass by them. Jesus planned to pass by them. What does that mean? The NIV guys had no clue, and so they just changed the word to about. But that's not it. It's he intended to pass by them. So what does it mean? All right, you have to turn to Exodus 33. And I don't want you to pretend like you're turning. I want you to be there, okay? I want you to see this. Uh, this is so cool. I want you to see it. Exodus 33. This is right after God's people are worshiping the golden calf out in the desert, right? Moses is pleading with God to forgive them and go with them to the promised land. And Moses has been working really hard for the Lord, but he hasn't seen very many results. In fact, only bad things are happening. Horrible things are happening. And Moses begs God to show him the proof of who he is. He begs God Show me who you really are and assure me that you're really going with us into the promised land. Moses is wanting some assurance here because he's afraid. Verse 18, Moses says to God, show me your glory. Verse 19, the Lord answers, I will cause all my goodness to pass by in front of you and I will proclaim my name. Verse 22, the Lord says it again. When my glory passes by. And God does show himself to Moses. God passed by in front of Moses and he revealed exactly who he is. We talked about this 12 times last year, right? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God says, here I am, and he showed himself to Moses. And then he renews the covenant with Moses and the people. And he promises to be with Moses and the people, and he leads them on their path to his promised future. 1 Kings 19. You got to go there, okay? I want you to turn to it. 1 Kings 19. You know these stories. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is complaining to God. Elijah's been working really hard for the Lord. And the result of all that hard work is that now he's on Jezebel's most wanted list. He's a dead man. And he complains to God, I'm the only one left. I'm all alone. I'm the only righteous one left on the planet. And in verse 11, here's what God says. 1 Kings 19, 11, The Lord says, Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is going to pass by. And then God reveals himself to Elijah in a small, still voice. And God tells Elijah, You're not alone. And there are thousands of faithful people throughout the land. And he promises to take care of Elijah's enemies. I think that's cool. 
when Mark tells us that Jesus intended to pass by them, what he means is Jesus was wanting to show them his glory. Jesus is wanting to show them his true identity. The original word here in the Greek in Mark is parerkomai. That is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word that's in the Moses and Elijah story. It's the exact same word, parerkomai. And so when our God parerkomais, when he passes by, he reveals his glory to someone who's afraid. He shows them that he is God. And that he is with them. And that they have nothing to fear. So Jesus doesn't walk across the water in this story like he's performing some kind of a card trick to amaze his friends, okay? That's not what Jesus is doing. And this isn't something Jesus did all the time either. You know, I'll see a cartoon every now and then or I'll see a movie where they're, you know, trying to, to make a gag and, and Jesus comes across a puddle in his path and instead of walking around it like everybody else, he just walks on top of it. That's not what's going on here, okay? Jesus is doing something on purpose for this specific situation with his followers. In the middle of their struggle to obey his commands, in the middle of their fear, Jesus comes to them walking on the water calming the storm and he says clearly to them I am God verse 50 listen to the words of Jesus take courage it is I no 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 it's I am the words there are I go I me it's not it is I it's I am I am take courage don't be afraid only God, the creator of heaven and earth, walks on the water and treads the sea. Only God Almighty says, I am. And so Jesus comes to his followers in the middle of their fear to say, look, you're not following a great prophet like Elijah. You're not following some scriptural superhero like Moses. I am God. And I'm with you. I'm right here with you. We're going to do this together I think it's important that Jesus doesn't rescue them out of the sea right he gets in their boat with them he gets in the boat with the disciples and says I'll take you to the other side we're going to get there we're doing this together I have dominion over heaven and earth and we're together. I have authority over all the powers of earth and over all the demons in hell. I have authority over the skies and the seas. I am God, and I'm in your boat in the middle of the storm, and we're going to get there because here's what God says. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Here's what the Bible says. The one who started a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion. We live in a windy world, church. But our God always finishes what he starts. Once they landed, Mark says the people recognized Jesus. Verse 54. They brought their sick to Jesus. And he healed all of them, it says. Jesus healed the people. And he made them whole. He revealed himself. He revealed his glory. He revealed his power. 
He revealed his mercy and his love and his mission and how it was going to be accomplished. And the Bible says the disciples were completely amazed. Now, to all the people in Mark who are afraid, the message from Jesus every time is the same. Don't be. Don't be afraid. That's the message. He tells those terrified disciples in chapter 4, don't be afraid, have faith. He tells that terrified, bleeding woman at the end of chapter 5, your faith has healed you. He tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And then he reveals his glory. I am God, and I'm with you. I'm in your boat right here beside you. Now, the wind might be blowing against you today. The wind might be against your face today. You might be rowing and straining at the oars with everything you've got today. And maybe it's been that way for several years. I don't know. I do know you are saved by God through Jesus Christ. I do know that you are indwelled by God's Holy Spirit who has called you according to his purposes. I do know that. And I know that trying to follow that call ain't easy. It's tough. And maybe you're straining at the oars and you just feel like you're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and you're not getting anywhere. In fact, maybe worse, you're getting blown off course. Maybe your boat is getting smashed to pieces today. Here's what I know. Our Lord Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am. I am. And I'm right here with you. Don't be afraid. Okay, do this. Turn to the person next to you. Look them right in the eye. And tell them, don't be afraid. Tell them. Those are words of Jesus. And if God's Holy Spirit lives inside you, and he does, when you speak that to somebody else, that is God speaking through you, telling somebody what they desperately need to hear. We all need to hear it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'd like to ask all of our elders and ministers and your spouses, would y'all get up, please, and would y'all just kind of spread out in this gym. Here's, here's what I know. We need to hear these words. Don't be afraid. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Take courage. God's in your boat. We need to hear these things. We need somebody to look at us and tell us those things. If you need that said to you this morning by one of our shepherds, one of our uh, ministers, we would love, we'd be honored by God to say that to you this morning. We would be so thrilled and privileged by God to pray over you this morning, right now, to say a prayer to God like Jesus was on that mountain praying for you, we'd like to do that as well. And let me say this. If you want to go tell somebody in this room, don't be afraid. I am God. I am with you. I'm in your boat. If you want to tell somebody that, now's the time. Do that. Let's, let's, let's stand, church. Let's stand up. If you want to grab one of our elders, grab one of our ministers, or if you need to go tell somebody, don't be afraid. Remember these words of Jesus. Remember this. Go change the world 
Go turn the world upside down for God's kingdom. And remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age.